0: You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, Rockstars. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I really love talking shop with operators. In this episode, we talk all about best practices. We talk about COVID pivots. We talk about what makes a restaurant really, really successful, and it always comes down to the foundation of any business, the team, the staff, right? But interestingly, my guest this week is the CEO. His name is Mr. Tim McLaughlin. He's the CEO of a hospitality platform called GoTap. And even though technology automates a business, it makes it more efficient, and you're going to see how relevant this particular piece of technology is to the day-to-day operations of your business. But what's most important is there's a Focus on the human element, the human touch, which should never be removed from the guest experience. You're not going to want to miss it. So check it out. We're going to talk best practices. We're going to talk about all the pivots that have happened to both companies and how both companies are thriving right now during the pandemic. And there's some key lessons here that you can apply to your own business. So thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned. Rockstars, from one operator to another. Before we begin today's episode, let me tell you about GoTab. GoTab is a way to offer your customers safety, convenience, personal service, and respect for their time schedule. Your customers are free to choose how and when they order, pay, and connect with your restaurant. GoTab has a QR-based, contactless ordering and payment feature that lets guests open their own guest checks, as well as split tabs and tips from their own device. I really like the leave at table pay and go feature that helps servers spend less time swiping cards and more time serving guests. It's all about the service. Flexible menus, digital gift cards, curbside pickup and delivery, and other smart features create a personal connection with guests and leave the tech in the background. With GoTab, you can safely turn tables 30% faster while enjoying 20% higher check and tip averages. Best of all, you never lose the personal touch. I love that. GoTab helps you put hospitality first. With this podcast, they're offering free activation for curbside pickup and delivery. Just text ROCKSTARS to 213-474-3925. I'll also put this number in today's show notes. Now, on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. As you know, these are engaging topics that help restaurants rock their profits, build their brands, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. And that is so appropriate to today's episode. With me today, Mr. Tim McLaughlin, the co-founder of the Caboose Brewery. He's a restaurant operator just like us, and he's also the CEO of a restaurant hospitality platform called GoTab. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because there's so many relevant topics we're going to discuss today. Most of the audience knows that usually it's about best practices. I interview lots of successful operators, we get into the nuts and bolts of their operation, what makes it so, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit about that, but we're also going to talk about what's unique and, you know, the whole COVID thing has thrown the whole industry sideways and what you're offering is a real technology solution that has a real personal touch with the customer, and I think that's what I like most about it. But we're going to shift gears, and a lot of my audience don't really know me personally. They know I'm a restaurant operator with lots of experience. They know that we have the podcast, thats that whole thing. But as a person, I'm really inspired by things, things that drive me outside of my professional life, outside of my family life, the things that, you know really move me are are alpine skiing. I've been skiing for 48 years. I'm a climber. I've climbed the Matterhorn in Switzerland twice. I love mountain biking, classic cars, that kind of thing. This is who I am as a person. And I really want my audience to get to know you as a guest, Tim. So let's put all the restaurant stuff aside, the technology stuff aside. When you've got spare time, what do you do? What, What do you have to do that really motivates and inspires you?
1: uh well i i actually love the outdoors as well so i'm a backpacker uh i'm a road cyclist i'm a runner Uh, i play soccer when i can um so i love i love activities um almost of any sort and i love doing them with my kids or without my kids um and when i can cajole my wife into joining me she also uh enjoys it um although i tend to like to you know do it more than she does she'll say me too 50 miles.
0: You want to ride 50 miles? I'm like, no, I was actually thinking 70. And she's like, yeah, I'm not going. (laughs) Wow. You're, you're hardcore. That's, that's amazing. I mean, that's great. I mean, that clearly gives us a fresh perspective on what we're doing professionally, doesn't it? And if you didn't do those things, we would just get so bogged down in the details. I call them a thousand details of running a restaurant or running a technology company, you know, and to stay on top of it all, you need a clear head and these things clearly, obviously, you know, do that for you. So thanks for sharing. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, your backstory. In hospitality. Yeah. Did it start at an early age? Did you work at a McDonald's? Did you wash dishes at a country club? Like where did it begin for you?
1: I, I actually did work at McDonald's. I don't think I've ever recounted that. Um, it was my very first job as a 14 year old in Chicago. And I, my first job was at McDonald's. Um, I did not continue in that path. I did a bunch of other things. I did retail. Um, I did some consulting and technologies also very much in my background. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ultimately my first job was actually in technology. Um, I came to restaurants, uh, in 2013. Um, essentially I sold my restaurant, sorry, I sold my technology company and I really wanted to do something tangible with my hands. I was in the services business. So I, I, I loved people. It was not the kind of, uh, business that you, you know, hid in a dungeon and wrote code all day. Uh, so I, I did. Consulting with large, mostly Fortune 500 clients, and um, so I love people. But I also um, I'm a huge food and drink, you know, nerd, if you will. Um, I brewed beer since college and all that sort of stuff. And then my wife is also uh, quite a chef, and she's also a nutritionist. So when I sold my first company, we decided to open a restaurant, of course, on the bike trail, which is behind my house, because being a cyclist. And being a foodie nerd um, and being uh, a hack, a brewery, a brewing hack, if you will, um, we essentially said, well, let's do this. It'll be fun. It'll be more fun
0: than sitting in conference rooms and, you know, talking about tech all day. Let's. Okay, you got me. I'm gripped. We have a lot in common. First of all, I have a bike trail behind my house that goes for about 15 miles in either direction. It's fairly technical mountain bike. I'm on the coast of Maine. It looks like you're in a winter climate as well. And you know it leads right to the beach, which is really awesome. And then you loop it and you go awesome. back the other way, and you know lots of rocks and roots and stumps and all that kind of stuff. It's challenging. I just got a brand new bike yesterday, which I'm stoked about. But we're also in the midst of getting a 15 inch snowstorm right now, so yeah. you know I'm gonna have to wait a while. Where are you? Where am I reaching you? You're in a winter climate. I'm seeing snow on the trees. It's beautiful. So actually I'm in Virginia and this may be mm-hmm. our first snow in four years.
1: Wow, uh, it's kidding. been really unfortunate because, yeah. uh, you know, the, the temperature changes here have just destroyed any opportunity to go skiing or anything like that locally. So you've got to go somewhere else. Um, I love the seasons, so I'm actually really happy to have the snow right now, but I'm in Virginia and the bike trail here goes, um, in the DC Metro
0: area. It's a 50 mile long,
1: uh, rails to trails, uh, oh, bike Wonderful, trail. wonderful. Um, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, I totally get that. So you talked about a tech background and an early interest in, in technology. Are you self-taught? Did you study this in college? And were you just like the kind of guy that would like take computers apart and figure it out and figure out how to program stuff? Was that you? I, I was that, yes. Uh, uh-huh. I've been
1: messing with computers since I was a kid and um, maybe didn't have enough friends or something like that. And so spent a lot of time with the computer. And uh even did some consulting throughout high school, nothing, nothing big, just kind of wrote some databases for my dad's company and some other companies. Um, and then when I went to college humorously, since I taught myself most everything in high school, I ended up getting a mechanical engineering degree. So I just kind of liked to learn stuff. And then, which actually there's a reason the mechanical engineering kind of drove me back to the brewery. Uh, I'll get that in a second. Yeah. Uh, but but then I ended up doing, uh, you know, as everybody who graduated in 2000 did, I got so sucked immediately into the tech world um, because I've been writing software since I was a kid. And so, of course, applied and got a job and ended up uh, co-founding a consulting firm with someone, a, a couple other people in uh, 2002, and then sold that in 2012. So that, that was, I, I didn't plan. Well, actually, I always knew I'd be in software because I've loved software and, and even hardware since I was a kid. Um, but I tend to get into whatever I can find. So um when I the part of the uh excitement about breweries, uh which is kind of how i started, but then my wife being uh a nutritionist, holistic nutritionist, was like, you can't can't make beer if you're not gonna make great food too. So we of course did all local, all this, all the nerdy stuff that you would do if you wanted to build a restaurant that you wanted to go to, which is exactly what we built. Yeah. Um, in that case, we, the, what I loved about the brewery was I got to go back to mechanical things. I got to deal with, you know, basically chemistry and physics and all the fun stuff that I learned in college that I never got to use, um, which was, which is a blast. And, and the brewery to this day still uses some processes that, uh, I actually designed and my brewer initially said, there's no way in hell we're going to do that. Cause that's crazy. Uh, and came around, you know, three or four days later and said, that's actually awesome. So we're, and, and there's still some of the same processes.
0: Is there a big craft brewing scene in Virginia, like here in Maine, like it, Maine exploded like 20 years ago. You know, the t- the term yeah, back yeah. then was microbrewery, right? Now it's all about this craft brewing industry. And I think Portland, Maine is on the map with like Oregon and Seattle as being this huge, you know, wellspring of brewing talent and breweries. And it's super. And, and it seems yeah. like the more that open up, they're all succeeding. Is Virginia kind of like that too? Well, they're not all succeeding these days. So, Well, well what, that's true. What, okay, is, yeah. pre-COVID. So, yeah,
1: Yeah, right. Um yeah. so in Virginia, the laws changed in 2012, which is part of the reason I jumped into the industry, which is when I, I sold my business in 2012. I kind of said oh, I'd love to do a restaurant, but it sounds really hard. Um and then when I found out, okay, well, the laws changed around breweries, which allowed breweries to sell direct to consumers, which is what you had in Maine before that. But right. Virginia didn't allow that. So Virginia in 2012 allowed that, and I kind of saw this opportunity along with our, my wife and I's passion for the, for this. And that kind of caused us to jump in and say, let's, let's do it. You know, this was not legal until now, so yeah. now we can make beer and sell it directly in the, in the brewery to the, the patrons. Um, and that was a lot more fun than what you would have had to do previously, which was make beer, put it in cans and send it to a grocery store, which they do now, but yeah. you know, it well, uh, wasn't legal.
0: So now there's, a,
1: there's hundreds of breweries in Virginia okay so
0: that's okay so it's a competitive scene is it a collaboration too is it competition or is it collaboration where this guy down the street will help you out if your tank blows up and you know i got the parts or i'll share this recipe with you like or is it really tightly you know it's it's a bit of it's a bit of both right i I suspect it's a lot like restaurants in Mm -hmm. in the chefs like some
1: chefs are buds with each other and some chefs are not buds with each other and so Um, I think it's a similar thing in the restaurant in the brewery world. Um, and, and we do have a, a chef who actually comes from fine dining. Uh, and when I say we, my wife, to be clear, my wife has owned the restaurant since 2016. Uh, when I started GoTab, she took it all over and she runs it all. Um, and I really only have opinions on it, which she sometimes doesn't care for. Um, but you know, the, uh, I'll probably still say we, because I'm still, I go there probably three it. times a week. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, going back to your question, it's, it's you know, it's kind of like, I, th- I think a lot like restaurants. There's probably a lot of friends and then maybe not so much friends, maybe history. Um, it, it used to be much friendlier if you went back 10 years when it was less saturated, and less competitive. Mm-hmm. um but even so people are still very friendly even if they are competitive I, i'd say for the most part they really are
0: now are you retailing the beer as well in supermarkets yes. and that whole thing and you've got packaging apparatus do you farm that stuff out do you do it all in-house they do it they do it all in-house awesome yeah Fantastic. so they, they
1: manufacture at both facilities they've got a pretty as i mentioned a pretty crazy manufacturing process nice um which is unusual because what they do is they, they, there's two steps in brewing. There's the hot side and the cold side. I don't know how much you know about beer, but they actually ship the wort, which is an interstitial product from the first brewery to the second brewery, uh, in, in a stainless steel truck. So like they've got a 15 barrel, which is 15 times 31 gallons. Um, it's a, a a big vehicle, uh, hauls it from one place to to the other. Uh, and then they do that twice a day, um, and it was a lower capital cost. It was a lower operational cost uh, to do it that model, but that was one of the things that I suggested my brewer said you're you're nuts we're not going to do this and uh, we did it, and it works great it's awesome been a been a great move,
0: you know, like with any restaurant, the branding piece is so important the packaging, the marketing, the aura, the image you create that then gets people seeing the product wanting to try it necessarily maybe they've heard about it maybe they've read a review about it or maybe they haven't maybe they just see your product in a sea of beer on the shelf in a retail location and your marketing just jumps out your packaging your name the names of your beers all those things are so important today have you gotten personally involved in all those decisions do you take it to that level or do you have a marketing team that does it all and you just approve it
1: i mean i i don't uh my wife does i sometimes Mm -hmm. have opinions uh certainly Mm -hmm. review Uh, Mm -hmm. i used to get heavily involved uh some of the names uh i i was a big part of uh caboose was actually my suggestion the name caboose was because vienna the town i live in which is right over there um has a caboose in the center of town because it's a rails to trail right so there's the rails so there's There's an
0: old caboose train history there i mean the railroad used to go through and all yep. that kind of thing and there's still a lasting legacy that's somewhat an image of the town so you've adopted that i get that yep yep we went with that
1: and we were very much going to like a you know an all-american theme right we wanted yep. local food we wanted high quality ingredients high quality like we really wanted to you know emanate that those values and those virtues and so mm-hmm. um we weren't definitely at the time it was trendier to sort of be like edgier sketchier like you know there was actually a brewery here that made a beer called unicorn vomit and like that was the anti what we wanted to be oh my gosh uh, yeah. from a branding perspective it's like great if you, if you want 15 year olds to buy edgy. unicorn cans yes like or there's other breweries that do other things and uh-huh. And, and actually, the the breweries changed a lot, so I, I should shouldn't say that. But um, and they've they've sort of moderated. But there's like we were trying to be all inclusive, right? Because we wanted families to come as well, as not just you know people seeking out crazy craft beer.
0: You know, I love the fact that I'm gonna ask you one: how how you work with your wife and how well that goes, because we have one more thing in common. I work with my wife. So she's a vice president and restaurant rockstar. She does all our technology stuff. She produces this podcast. And then crazily, after me being in the restaurant business 20 years and selling all my restaurants five years ago, we go and we buy another restaurant just before COVID hits. So now I'm back in the game, dealing with everything that you've dealt with and that you're dealing with. But now, like your wife, my wife runs that place, and she is the de facto GM, and I offer my opinions, but she runs it, and she's doing a great job, despite the fact that she doesn't have 20 years of experience in the business. She's kind of self-taught that way. But somehow, we make it work, and I'm sensing that your relationship works well, even though you work together.
1: Yeah, well, I've been married for over 20 years. Um, We've done a lot of things together. My wife has, like, Every degree that you can think of um, yeah. she's a math teacher, she's an engineer um, she's a nutritionist, so but mm-hmm. she's she, but she really didn't know restaurants either. she uh, was creative, she learned a lot because I've run multiple businesses and she's kind of seen yeah. a lot of that and right. me too and then I do think there's something about being a teacher, right I do think being a teacher. Uh, is actually very relevant in, yeah. in leading
0: a restaurant and it's because there's a lot of teaching yeah absolutely i think that's great from a staff perspective you know i if you don't mind let's let's talk about some of the maybe Approaches that she has taken with this restaurant that set it apart. I've already heard about the, you know, the holistic nutrition piece. And I think that's really relevant because when breweries first became popular a couple decades ago, they didn't really focus on the food. The food was something they needed to have, but it was really just about the beer and the beer brought in the patrons and the food was an afterthought. And now the whole industry has had to rise up to provide a really quality product that goes with the beer and you pair the beer with the food and if you're doing it right. But you've taken it a step further because now we're talking about local ingredients and giving back to the community and making it holistic and nutritional and delicious and also pairing well with the beer. So I think that's tremendous. But as you know, the foundation of any business, your technology company, a restaurant, it's really about the you know your foundational element being the staff. You're only as good as your staff, the impressions that they make on your customers, the quality that they put into what they do what philosophies necessarily have you and your wife put in place in this restaurant to build what I call the dream team staff that really gives the customer an experience, not just the food and drink.
1: Yeah. I will say my wife is actually way better at that. So I think it it goes back to, like I said, her nurturing nature with, uh, as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not always as tolerant as I should be. And, um, I, you know, I want things to go fast and that's probably good in a tech environment where, you know, things can always change and you can, you can press hard and things do tend to work and, and everybody's equally motivated to, you know, get going as fast as they can. I will say hospitality is a little different and different types of people are drawn to it. Um, and so, um, she's done a a far better job. I'm, I'm good at, I think in that world, I can still set the path and understand the path but I I tend to be a little too analytical and I'm, I'm aware of myself in that sense. And I'm like, okay, this is my shortcoming. I need to back away and find someone who's actually, uh, you know, empathizing in full. Um, But I will say that the path that she's taken, she's really built a stellar team. Uh, She's really pulled them very close and she's, uh, you know, you know, in the, in the industry, or at least my old industry, you always talk about like build versus buy and not, in technology, but in terms of people. Like the question is, do you find when you're recruiting someone, can you find someone who who looks like they would be a caring and a great team player and a good employee? Does it matter if they have restaurant hospitality, you know, experience? Or does it matter if they've got the right, you know, bones to, it's the DNA to be that person? Yeah. Absolutely right. Um, you
0: can train for the experience. You cannot train correct. for the customer approach and you know the relationships and the personality behind it you know? Yep. So I totally agree with that. That That's tremendous. So let's shift gears now. Let's start talking a little bit about technology. And obviously you have a restaurant, which I guess I'm guessing that it's the brainchild because you've got the tech background, you have a people passion, you love food and drink. Did you find something broken in restaurants and you decided to disrupt and improve the industry? And COVID is perfect timing because what you're offering is the perfect antidote to what's going on in order to give the customers a great hospitality experience. And I want you to tell us all about GoTab and what it is and what it does. <laughs> but but let's literally talk about, you know, what was your transition from, okay, we got this restaurant and it's pretty cool, but I'm this tech guy and my gears are always turning and I'm a mechanical engineer and I got to fix something that's inherently broken. Is that how it went? That's pretty much how it started.
1: In uh, 2016, um, our brewery was kicking, kicking butt. And we had, you know, we were at, at the time, as I mentioned, there weren't many breweries around. So we we're the only brew brewery in what I call a beer desert, right? So we had a beer desert. We had the brewery in the center of it. And we had all these people and it was small. It was only like 3000 square feet, including the patio. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so you couldn't get tables. Like oh. people would, you know, line up and they'd stand at the door and they'd stand and stand and they'd line up the bar and then they'd get aggravated and then they'd write bad reviews on Yelp. I learned how not to love social media very quickly, uh, or at least Yelp, uh, at the time. And so it was just, you know, very frustrating being a first time operator, uh, not knowing all the right moves. And, you know, we had good food, we had good drink I think we, you know, things have improved much since then, but at the time we were comparatively quite good. Um, but we really couldn't like, we just hit a ceiling. Right. And we just said, okay, we're never going to do more than 2.3, $2.2 million out of this location. It's just not going to happen. Um, and so then the question was like, okay, how could you optimize it? Me being a tinkerer, I was like, well, I mean, no, no one likes paying checks. No one likes paying bills. Like, that's not fun anyway. And all the time, how many minutes are lost? So I started,
0: and many people have started on, on this path. Right? Many Plus waiting for the, the check, on, right? That's yeah, a adult. pet peeve so things, when you're waiting for a check. Yeah. And then they've got to process your payment. And then you got to hang out. You might be wanting to catch a movie, or at least pre-COVID right. you did. you got to play to get to. you got something else. you got yeah. to get back to the babysitter to relieve the kids. And now you're waiting for the check. I mean, that's a pet
1: peeve. Yep. Yeah, so we did all that in 2016. We yep. quickly
0: realized that...
1: Yeah, I, I was annoyed by it. Everybody was annoyed by it. But at the end of the day, like most people, wouldn't change their patterns or habits to solve this problem. Um, so, like, yeah, we'd get like three percent participation. We would put, we did printed codes on receipts. We did like a card. We didn't remember QR codes were not adopted in the U.S. till 2018. So this is 2016, and essentially, we tried all different ways to get people to pay the tab or you know associate with tab. It just wasn't happening and like if you look at any product that all it does is take a digital payment on an otherwise non-digital experience you're you just don't get i've not heard of anything like it getting over five percent adoption so we did that in 2016 um basically we're trying to figure out what's wrong why are people not using this because it seems like it's annoying to me and if you talk to everybody they're all they're all like yeah it's annoying but at the end of the day, like somehow you just wave down your server because you're like, I don't want to learn this new stuff on my phone. Like, I'll eventually just wave them down, and eventually they'll show up, and I can leave. Um, so basically, we were sort of floundering in 2017. We said, okay, well, what's the other problem in hospitality? And it's really like I look at it, it's, it's kind of bookends, right? Paying and leaving sucks. Getting your first drink also sucks. Like both of those are like the biggest failure points. Cause once you get your first drink, you're like, Oh, well I got a beer. Like, now I can damn, relax. I, now I can relax. Even if the food takes five or 10 more minutes, at least I got a beer in hand and I'm sitting and chatting with my friends. I can, I can tolerate this. Um, and so the idea was, okay, well, in 2017 we started saying, okay, what if you could solve the getting the, getting the beer in hand or the glass of wine in hand, um, at the beginning too. um, and then we started thinking about that. And remember, we're focused on dine-in because this is all pre-sort of like, hey, we're going to turn restaurants into food vending machines. You know, sort of the DoorDash view of the world. Um, this is us believing that you go to restaurants for entertainment purposes to hang out with your friends. To and, and we're not trying to eliminate that. We're actually trying to support that. Um, so we said, okay, how do we get a how do we get a beverage in their hand quickly? Uh, easily without having to, you know, make them stand in line or make them wait for their server to show up. Um, So that's when we started in 2017, the first version of GoTab, in anticipation of QR codes being released on the iPhone in 2018. So QR codes weren't scannable on an iPhone until October of 2018, which also happened to coincide with my wife opening her second brewery. So we opened uh, her second place, which is called Caboose Commons, um, which is a giant place and 6,000 feet indoors, three stories, and then a 4,500-foot patio outside um, and a pretty dense area. And GoTab came out. We started day one. We actually realized that we were going to have a major problem because they didn't have enough point-of-sale terminals um and then we had this like we even with four or five that we had because they wanted to be counter served because trying to do full service in that big of a space was going to be a nightmare yeah and we were uh so i see we basically said let's do let's get rid of cash so we got rid of cash because we're like there's no way in hell we're going to change our cash doors and the place turned out to be mayhem we had lines out the door down the street type thing um And so the first three days that we opened Caboose Commons, I literally stood there with, um, something like this. This is the newer version, but basically a QR code and said, if you walk to any table and remember we've been building this at GoTab for a year in advance. If you walk to any table, you can scan a QR, which of course no one knew what that was. (laughs) I remember this. (laughs) Um, and you can order, you know, your beer there, uh, You know, you couldn't order food because we didn't have it all integrated into the kitchen, but you can order your beer there and you don't have to stand in this line. It takes 20 minutes. Um, And so we were able to peel off during peak times. We would peel about 50% of the line off of of standing in line and they were happy. And it it definitely skewed to a certain demographic. Um, And there were some people who just walk up and like QR code, sweet, I'm gone. And then as soon as they, but that was a minority. At the time, you know, no one knew how to scan a QR code. And we were trying to convince them to try something new. And we would get 50, 60% when there was a line. When there was no line, people just do what they habitually do, which they go stand in line. Like that's how you do it. That's the old way. Um, so that was how we got started. Um, that, that I mean, Caboose Commons and GoTab were pretty coincidental. I mean, they had to occur at the same time because otherwise I don't know that we ever would have realized so many things we
0: learned uh, in that time period. So your tagline is is great. We help you put hospitality first. And the key word there being hospitality. And you know, my definition that I've used forever, when I would train my staff, if you went back two decades ago, I learned a long time ago that hospitality is absent when something happens to the guest, and hospitality is present when something happens for the guest. And that's the difference, and it's that simple and that was such a basic thing to train my staff so that everyone focused on that keyword hospitality making friends with the customers every single shift you know building a relationship with them through your unique personality and taking care of the kids that came in because kids often determine you know where the family goes out to eat all these things yes. were were part of the marketing but it was genuine it wasn't It wasn't about marketing. It was about the genuine experience we wanted to deliver the customer. And what you're talking about, this technological feature, is kind of cool in so many ways, but there's a personal touch linked with the technology that almost puts the technology in the background and focuses on the personal touch. I love that. Talk to me about that. The idea behind it, what it does, the communication, the interaction back and forth that can happen through the platform, recognizing you know, loyal guests, old friends, whatever, uh, you being able to thank the chef for a great meal, even though you're not seeing him face to face. I mean, all this is super great.
1: Yeah. So I I think that I I love the way you frame that the two versus four, uh, in terms of hospitality, because Mm -hmm. that, that's a, that's a great way to think of it. Um, our our belief is like convenience has to exist. It is not. So just, just to like, if you put the two at, at odds with each other, Um, And this is only for illustration purposes, like convenience is here and hospitality is here. Sometimes hospitality gets in the way of convenience. And that's when, for example, uh, I was thinking about the other day, uh, what's the worst possible example of, you know, sort of fake hospitality? It's when you have to call AT&T to cancel your phone service because they won't let you do it online. Right? It's like, oh, we want to talk to you. No, you don't want to talk to me. You they want to talk you un- out of what you want to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and so the yeah. same sort of thing is like when you, when you think you're helping your guests by forcing them to talk to you, that's, that's actually not hospitality. It, it is if they want to. It's not if they don't want to. And the reality is there's, there's plenty of things that we'd like to do that are convenient. And really, we're not looking for a lot of face-to-face interaction. And there's plenty of things that we love the face-to-face interaction. And sometimes the convenience, the low convenience things actually get in the way of actually the face-to-face interaction, which is Mm -hmm. really unfortunate. um, Because would you rather spend time swiping credit cards and talking to your guest about which item goes on which check? Or would you rather spend time talking to them about what they just ate or about the wine that they just enjoyed? Mm -hmm. I love. And my belief is that, In fact, one of our uh, one of our operators taught me this. He was saying that he his staff now, as a result of using GoTab, um, actually gets to spend more time with all of his patrons, even though he has less people on the floor. Which, like, how does that make any sense? But he said, "Well, here's the thing. There's a couple things that happen. He has less people on the floor, but he has less people on the floor because they they don't need to do as much. They're all they're doing is running food to the table, refilling water, running food to the table." And answering questions that's it so they don't take orders they don't take payment turns out you have a ton of time when you take all that administrivia out of the way and then on top of it what he pointed out is that because he has less people on the floor he actually has a more consistent front of house staff because he has a more consistent front of house staff he actually ends up having the same server for the same patron more frequently and as a result they're, they've become much more you know, personable because they know, Hey, you were in last week. Great to see you again. And I actually got to see you because I talked to you more than just took your order. Um, so there's this, like this amazing virtuous cycle that comes when you take a lot of the, you know, sort of order taking out, if you will. Yes. Um, yes. And yes. shift it to, uh, one of the things I like is, is like the idea of being a guide when you go to a new restaurant, what you want is a guide and not an order taker. Um, and the, the, the point is to help. Absolutely. Sometimes you don't need a guide. If you've been there 100 times, you definitely don't need a guide. But
0: if you're there the first time, you probably do want a guide. And yes. that's a wonderful experience. Right, right. And you want to tell your patron, your new customer, first of all, you know, we always treated new customers as if they were old friends and regulars. But it's also discovering, you know, have you been here before? If not, let me tell you all about what makes this space great what you will enjoy you know i recommend you know that it's a personal experience versus all those inconveniences that you talked about so the focus is really on the experience now somewhere along the line um i think i read or watched uh, one of your videos which i really like by the way and it talked about larger check averages and more tips of course Mm -hmm. so you're able to do that i'm still i still want my audience to sort of piece everything together because the consumer now, the customer, the guest, is taking over some of the tasks that the server or the hospitality front of house person used to provide. So that's yep. that's where you know the focus is now on the experience, not on those unpleasant things, but now the customer has more control over those unpleasant things, which is really great. Is that correct? correct? Yeah, so we the
1: way GoTub works now is it's not exclusive. So yep. if if you walked into my restaurant and you said, can I get a, can I get a pint of Guinness? Or if you said, I'd like a glass of Pinot Noir, um, I'd say, sure thing. And I would grab that and I hand it to you and I'd open a tab for you. And I'd say, if you want to add to your tab and I'm not available, it's now associated with the QR in front of you. You can do it yourself. I'm also happy to grab whatever you need. Just flag me down. So you could order then on your phone if I got tied up with another guest on the same tab. You would just pick it up and the tab would be associated with that QR. Or I can always come back and add to that same tab as a server, right? Um, the way we think of it is like, you don't have to do one or the other. And we're not trying to eliminate the upselling. Uh, I mean, some people don't like to call it upselling. You can call it what you want. Suggestive let's, selling. Let's, is, call it, let's call it like identifying a need, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like if that you that see emotion. someone and you're like, hey, your glasses are empty. Would you like another glass of wine? Yes, uh, some people call that upselling. Some people would call it, you know, taking care of the guests,
0: anticipating um, needs. I think right, it's... exactly,
1: and um, so the technology won't do that because it's not going to time and predict when their glasses empty sure. and then of buzz course. them, right? But a great server will and identify that and take care of that. And they're not going to bother them by saying, "Okay, now pick up your phone and order your own wine." Right? What they're going to do is they're going to get the wine and add it to the tab that they've already got associated with them on the table. So the way GoTab works is it's very fluid, um, and neither one is exclusive to the other. And we're not trying to turn it into a um, what what I'm sort of describing. What a lot of tech companies would have you believe, you know, from DoorDash across the whole world is that we're going to turn into robotic restaurant or food vending machines. Yeah, You're going to yeah. walk into a restaurant and it's be a be robots making the food mm-hmm. and like a button you push and the food comes out and maybe it's stellarly good. Maybe it's not, I don't know. Uh, but it, I can tell you it won't be as good if there isn't
0: a person there to greet you and to you know say, how is your day? The um, human element will always be yeah. so pivotal to the experience. If you have the right people interacting with your customer. And we talked about that before, but you're right. It's all about the human element, the personal touch. So important. Never get away from it.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of things like that where we weave things back and forth. And the example of text messaging in one of our uh, videos, um, which is a fine dining example, uh, which is intentionally very low tech. The only tech you see in the entire video is the, I don't have it with me, but the pay a table. Oh, here's one right here. Okay. So the, yeah. this is like, you know, very, very European, right? Um, <laughs> so, you know, you have a pay-at-table device. You drop it at the table. They could scan it on their phone if they're having a good app account. If they don't, they just want to go with the card. they can do that. Um, but the point is, is that the the uh, chef in this example video uh, sees that the patron sitting at the table and sends a text message to him on his phone and says, hey, I'm glad... Glad you can make it in tonight. Sorry I didn't get to stop by and say hi. Um, and so it's just a cool that. little touch where the tech is adding to it. It's not taking away from it. right? You, you, no one's going to say, oh, I can't believe he text messaged and didn't make it out of the kitchen. Well, he said he was busy. Like You, you can't always make it out of the kitchen. Um, so it's it's it's
0: where you can add in to the experience. And you can also bring a problem situation to the attention of the manager or the server or whoever's you know you're working with your table whether in you know something that needs to be solved you can quickly take care of your own problem or have them approach without having to go wait you know that kind of correct yeah actually one of the things we do is whenever there's any negative feedback
1: on anything Mm -hmm. it's immediately put on a dashboard or you know onto a phone uh for managers to remedy if they want to Uh, they might not remedy immediately they may Decide to let it pass, or may not be able to remedy it immediately. Um, but a lot of the feedback that we get, because we have feedback integrated into everything, yes, um, is extremely actionable. You can send a you know a win back gift card. You could do any number of things based on what what makes the most sense.
0: And that's the marketing element. That's the goodwill, and you know, getting the customer loyalty and resolving the problem, making them feel important. Through the technology, through the device, you know, without actually having the face-to-face conversation, that can happen. Or if you know the person is left, you can still give them a positive impression of what happened after the fact, right? Right. That's awesome. Yeah. The fun,
1: the fun part is we also see the guest uh, over time, right? So yes, yes. If you do notice that someone's abusing, <laughs> abusing <laughs> your review system, you you will actually see that. So it's like. If, if someone repeatedly comes in and decides that hey, if I give bad feedback, I'll get free stuff. Um, you can essentially make a call because you're going to be aware of, of, of what they're doing.
0: It does it recognize a customer's ordering habits. If they always order the same beer, if they always love the same dessert or entree or whatever, does it ask them or suggest, would you like your favorite X today? Does it do anything like that?
1: It's we, so we just rolled out, uh, um, basically, a, a menued experience. So, nice. a lot of these are just a single menu, but a lot of our operators are moving to multiple menus, mm-hmm. and it operates very similar to how a server would. So, there may be like a dinner menu and a drinks menu, for example, um, and maybe there's a dessert menu as well, because oftentimes those are presented separately. Um, so, depending on how long or how big your menus are, you break them into pieces, uh, and then what it'll do is it'll suggest the accompanying parts. So. You ordered designer, You may have ordered a, an entree and it, it will prompt you and say, "Would you? what would you like to drink? Or would you like to see the drinks menu? So the idea is we're, we're trying to move in the direction of not explicit suggestive selling. In fact, I find it really annoying a lot of the apps that say, hey, you're not done yet because you got to buy this first. And I, th- I find that a little, I think it's fine for takeout because in takeout, you know that if you don't buy it, um, you know, you're, you're not going to get a second chance at it. Right. Whereas right. go to have 80% of our revenue happens inside of a restaurant, which is pretty much how restaurants that's how restaurants revenue is in a non COVID environment. It's probably 80, 90% dine-in revenue. Um, and because of that, a lot of our product is geared to thinking through what does a tab look like? What is the best way to sell subtly sell, but not in your face? Um, because we're not selling, we're not selling takeout. We're not assuming that we're not going to see this guest, and we and they actually on average order two and a half times. So it's not going to be one order; it's gonna be multiple orders. Um, but your question of suggestive, uh, like, does it have a favorites menu? We actually part of the reason we did roll out this menu, this menuing feature, is we are building out a favorites feature next, which is essentially okay. Here's the dinner menu. Here's the drinks menu, and here's your personalized favorites menu. Gotcha. So you can ignore it or not. Yeah. Um, if you want to look at it, if you know, hey, I'm always going to get that same glass of wine or I'm always going to get that same beer, it can always pop up and say, here's your short list and you always get the same stuff.
0: But it gives the customer options and it gives them a yeah. preference and they can do they can deal with the technology on their terms, right? Correct. That's yeah. What,
1: what we don't want to do uh, in my experience is make an inconsistent experience across guests. So that if you're seeing one thing on your phone and I'm seeing another thing on my phone, that's just confusing to everybody. Um, if it's clear that these this part is personalized for you, then that actually
0: that that makes perfect sense. It does. It does as well. So how has COVID affected both companies? Was it a real challenge in the beginning with the breweries because of limited indoor seating, and you know perhaps you did okay during the summer or the warmer months with the outdoor seating, but then winter came and now I see snow on the ground. It's like, how have you pivoted? How have you adapted with those two breweries? What have you seen? You know, what has worked? What hasn't worked? Yeah. Um,
1: so the breweries were, uh, were, 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 you know, just, you know, damaged like everybody else, uh, early COVID, uh, they were shut down. Um, GoTab basically quickly came to a halt initially because 80% of our revenue is dying in. Um, and then our takeout and delivery revenue skyrocketed because a lot of people started adopting us for that. Right. Um, great. And then cause we do some unique things in that arena and we actually are continuing to invest more in some of our takeout and delivery features. Um, but then what happened is a lot of the places who did have physical outdoor space spread out and took over their parking lots. Um, and GoTab became instrumental to that because one of the things GoTab does is it manages the logistics. And you don't usually think of logistics in a POS because a POS doesn't really contemplate it. Uh, but our system does because it's designed for, for big spaces as well as small spaces. When you when you're spread out over, you know, effectively an acre or two of property, you don't want to run a beer out and then run back and then find out you have another beer to take to the exact same table, because right. it'll just kill your kill you on mm-hmm. runtime absolutely um, so our system takes care of managing the you know, when things should go to different places um, and that actually helped a ton and that that, that had been a built-in feature because we learned very early on that you can't just print out tickets you know and get get the right outcome when your runners are you know dead tired or can't get it's physically too much stuff to run out um, so that anyway getting back to the subject, what ended up happening was Caboose did really, really well in the summer um, because they were operating in a very safe fashion, right? And because they had the space, and frankly, people told us all the time, like, "I feel really safe going there because they spread out all the tables, they were ordering on GoTab, they didn't have to talk to a server, so initially on, you know, on no one, they felt they had that option, uh, and they took it up. They actually had a line on the on the on the sidewalk outside to get in because they you know, were limiting how many people to come in. And so uh, there would be a line, not uncommonly on a Saturday. Um, and so they did really well over the summer and really well, obviously with 50% yes. capacity. And you know, it was still like 90% of revenue, um, which still nothing to complain awesome. about. No, yeah. no,
0: that's fantastic. Um, I mean, most of the restaurants I speak to and much of the industry, you know, thinks that's that's a huge win if you can do anything close to that. So yeah. that's, that's awesome. You're in a really good position. Did you do indoor and outdoor dining simultaneously? You just spread everything out?
1: They did both. Uh, yeah. Well, they did outdoor initially. And then once, like, so they have roll up garage doors. So they were able oh, to open yeah. up the inside pretty big, in oh, a pretty cool. big way. Yes. Um, and... My wife, being you know a uh, kind of a health nut, she was very vigorous about all the stuff and mass and everything, so they actually never had yeah. they never had any problems knock on wood i should shouldn't say Fantastic. that but yeah um, they never great. had any problems with it, and as long as they you know were very rigid about hygiene mm-hmm. and mass and uh so that's how they did it. and now they're they're still actually humorously in the shoulder season when it got colder here. Um, they used GoTab to, to let people reserve fire pits, uh, <laughs> short, short diversion. I actually made 10 fire pits out of kegs. They're kind of fun. Cool. Uh, and then they ended That's up just rent, renting those with wood. Uh, and yeah. so people could come rent a fire pit, their own private fire pit, So they could have a group of 10, which is what Virginia allowed. Okay. Uh, and then they just buy a block of wood, you know, a,
0: box of wood and they yeah. fill up the fire pit and they fire actually did quite well with it did yeah, it um fun. did you allow the customers to build their own fires or was that a liability thing <laughs>
1: no they did not allow them they would build them for them okay. um so they'd yeah. have them started but those things kept it nice and toasty you know Beautiful. when otherwise they would have no outdoor space
0: yeah and i could see the keg radiating heat in addition to it the does. fire coming out the top that's a genius idea yeah it, it, it gets crazy hot <laughs> that's fantastic idea. That's so cool wow you've done you've done quite well um,
1: yeah, so it's fun. Uh, goTab itself grew about a yeah. hundred times uh, from March till September uh, our volume increased to almost hundred x
0: so yeah, it's been uh, it was uh, it was interesting what an inspiration so. Has Virginia been particularly hard hit? Did you have a real rough patch and now things are better? Did Was there a resurgence? Like what's going on now in your state? Uh, I
1: mean, there's Virginia and there's Northern Virginia. They're very different. Oh. Um, yep. And Northern Virginia is a DC suburb uh, and it it's tended to have low infection rates uh, almost across the board. The rest of Virginia has, has sort of played with fire in many cases. Um, and so there's been times where like, people are anti-mask and so then they obviously get infections and then the cities go kind of crazy right but but our our area doesn't have that problem for the most part um they did occasionally get like you know people who came in and made it their political agenda to you know tell my wife they shouldn't make people wear masks and whatnot but for the most part that wasn't commonplace
0: Yeah, I mean, there was definitely that whole renegade attitude in our state as well. You know, Maine had a lot of that pushback about we're just tired of this mask thing. And, you know, we had businesses that defied government orders, and continued to operate without the safe protocols. I mean, I've seen other states doing things like that. And it's like now, I mean, we really have to really reconvene and get past this thing. And, not take on our own agendas with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not that hard. (laughs) That's that's the whole thing. It's like, yeah. I mean, I know we're tired of it, but we're also kind of used to it. I mean, we're adaptable people and what's, best for the common good is what we've had to do. And, you know, in our restaurant as well, I mean, we've really communicated from the beginning what our best practices were, what our safety protocols were. And then we also, you know, thanked people for their patronage during such a difficult time. There was a personal note in every single takeout and delivery bag. There still is, you know, and it's a perfect way of just letting people know, updating them on new hours or new menu items or whatever. And by the way, you know, Thanks for doing your part to keep us safe. We're doing what we can to keep you safe. And we're all in this, you know, share the love kind of messages go a long yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely.
1: That's so. awesome. Yeah, my, my wife's done. Yeah. I think they've delivered like, I, I'm not underestimated, but 4,000 meals uh, to the hospitals and to Beautiful. the schools. Um, and the patrons pay for them and they make them at no cost. And then they are able to do that, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing, you you may find this interesting just based on what you're doing. Um, so they have a soup subscription now that they're running through GoTab. Um, I probably shouldn't tell people, but it's like, it's, it's almost an 80% re subscribe rate right now. Like it, after they sign up for four weeks, they sign up again. Um, and people love it. I mean, I, I actually went out and delivered soup Sunday because they didn't have enough drivers. So I made my son come with me and we drove around and delivered soup and you'd be amazed how excited the guests, the customers are, or the patrons are when you show up at their house and give them, you know, two quarts of soup and they're like, Oh, I love this. And they, you know, it's, you can really delight people with a lot of these things. And That's yeah, wonderful. is there tech that makes this happen? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot yeah, of tech yeah. that
0: makes this happen.
1: Right, right. There's still a personal touch when you show up at their yep. door with, you know, two quarts of soup on
0: Sunday, they, they think it's awesome. I'm sure that's, that's another hook, you know, that's a hook that sets you apart from the competition. And I'm a huge believer in that. It's like, what can you do to stand apart from what everyone else is doing and zig when they zag and just put your own stamp on something. And sounds like you guys are doing that as well. Is there anything else we missed Tim that you'd like to share either about the restaurant industry in general, about technology in general, or about GoTab that we didn't really cover?
1: Um, we talked about a lot. <laughs> yeah, we covered some ground. To I was gonna that. see if I, I tried to uh, pull my notes if I had anything about it. I mean, I, I'm actually curious if I asked to ask you where where do you think, or let me just be so bold: is mm-hmm. where do you think restaurant point of sale technology is going to go? Do you think people are going to keep lining up at counters or having servers go and enter their their orders on screens for them? I mean.
0: Online ordering has, has been huge, you know, and I guess I'm seeing a lot of there was a lot of pushback and a lot of disgruntled restaurants about, you know, the third party delivery platforms and the percentages yeah. that they took. I mean, that was that was huge. I mean, restaurants saw that as a, you know, as a necessary evil, you might say in some cases, but now there's technology replacing that where you can get the same thing for free. Like there's a new service in my community that literally charges the customer and takes the fees away from the restaurant operator. So, you know, you got to find a balance there, but definitely the online ordering has, has obviously been huge. The personal touch that you can deliver those messages through, you know, a point of sale or through the, you know, the interaction with the customer has been really big for us as well. And I I totally agree with you. Um, If it ever gets closer to the robotic thing, you know, I think it must have been eight years ago, I was traveling in some airport somewhere and the whole experience and I could see where it would matter in an airport where everything is about the kiosk on the on the, you know, on the table or at the counter. Yeah. And literally, you're in you're out and bang, bang, bang. And this is what I want. And there's literally no interaction with the server or the person that just delivers your food is everything okay and here you go and then you pay and you go okay that's great yeah for the vast majority of the sit down full service places it is still going to be about the experience it will never change I mean I don't care if you're a millennial or if you're in your 80s it's like you still crave you know that whole experience special occasions you want to go out and you want to feel like you know I was treated like I was Uh, you know, a very important person at that restaurant, I go back there because that's the place that makes me feel great. And it's not just about the good food and the drink. It's really about, you know, how I feel. It's, I hate to use cliches, but it's that cheers formula. People go where everybody knows their name. And that's what builds loyalty and affinity in this business. And, And your staff, again, are the foundation of that. And if you can train your staff so well as to give that amazing experience, but also get to know your customers on a personal level, then even with GoTab, when they're not at the table 24 seven, your customers are still getting the experience. You know, that's really what it comes down to. I think you, you struck a really nice balance between the tech and the, and the hospitality side. I guess that's why your tagline is what it is. Putting hospitality (laughs) first. Perfect. I I guess so. Well, thank you. Yes. Um,
1: Yeah. I, I think, we're we're very excited for the future, and I think our one of our taglines that didn't go forward was making hospitality or make was I something making it better for both your team and the guests. Because one of the things we always aspire for is like it's great to make things better for the guests, but how's it better for the operator? It's mm-hmm. a question we often ask ourselves. Yes, um, and I think a lot of these systems just assume you can make the operators do all kinds of terrible things and work around all kinds of you know. Obnoxious uh, solutions. When in fact, I think both the guest and the operator, sorry, are you know the 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 team members
0: are really important. You can't forget about them in these kinds of technologies. Well, this goes back to your earlier question to me about where I see technology going, and I'm a huge believer in. Well, the old school way of running restaurants was a restaurant owner felt like they had to be there 24-7. They missed their kids' college graduations and their kids' soccer games and all this kind of stuff because you're literally there seven days a week because I've got to oversee everything and nobody does it the way I would do it. But that just tells you that there's no systems in place in the restaurant. And that's an operator that's working in the business, not on the business to systemize it, to give them an exit strategy so that they can empower their team to have the big picture and all that kind of stuff. And the customer still gets a great experience. And every single person is a brand ambassador for your business. That's where things should go. Using technology to automate, to make things more efficient. I mean, that is the future and it will keep going. And we can't, you probably can, because you can see around technological corners that I can't, because I'm not a tech guy, but I believe that it will keep technology will keep moving forward. It will keep making our lives easier as long as we don't sacrifice that human touch. I think it's going to be amazing to see what comes next. Could couldn't agree more. And you'll probably be behind all that. (laughs) (laughs) I I
1: I hope to at least have some effect Mm. on it. Uh, Like the the thing that you described, the free online ordering, like that's what people a lot Mm -hmm. of people's operators signed up with GoTap for. Yeah. Uh, in the last year is because essentially we don't charge anything and we can do a bunch
0: more than they can get from the other pay-for offerings. Um, so it, it's quite popular. Once again, I appreciate you being a guest, Tim. Fantastic. Yes. You're an operator like we are, but you're also you know disrupting and transforming an in industry in a good way. So I think this was a fantastic well, thank you, episode.
1: My pleasure. It. Okay, Just,
0: everybody. that was for spending the time. Oh, I, I so appreciate that as well. It's, it was a great conversation because I love talking shop with operators, you know, one-on-one. <laughs> and I try to keep up with the tech side of things as best I can. So you made it easy to understand and the audience, you know, definitely got the gist of GoTab, whether they're tech savvy or not. You know, this is clearly a technology that anyone can use that will improve, you know, your operation. Thanks, Tim. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We'll see you all in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. I think that was a really interesting and fantastic episode. So thanks so much to Tim and GoTab for sponsoring this episode and for Tim appearing as a guest. We covered so many key nuggets of information on how we can all learn and run a stronger operation. You know, from an operational standpoint, from a staffing standpoint, a service standpoint. And I think what really came through is the human element in restaurants that is so important to maintain. And I know you feel that way, too. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It's going to help other owners, managers, franchise operators, hoteliers, our audience basically find us. And we're just trying to spread the word to help you improve your hospitality operation. And don't forget that keyword hospitality that came through so strongly in this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.